Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now your ears do not deceive you you have just entered the cryptid creator corner brought to you by your friends at comic book yeti so without further ado let's get on to the interview all right, hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of the hosts of the podcast, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am here with someone that I have am very excited uh, to talk to and to interview. I have followed them on on Twitter for a while now, and um, uh, it, it's always a delight in terms of the the questions that uh, she poses to her followers or talking about her writing projects. Um, but uh, this is just going to be a, a, a real treat for me, and I think you're going to like it too. But um, I'm here with uh, award-winning uh, television and comic book uh, writer. You may be familiar with some of her work from DC Superhero Girls or uh, uh, Teen Titans Go, Batman and Harley Quinn, um, as well as the the recent Star Wars uh, hyperspace stories out from Dark Horse. But I am here with uh, Amanda Dybert. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So I, I want to kind of jump right in because you have done so many different things in terms of your <laughs> career so far. And I, I mean that in a not a negative way, in a, in a great way. Um, so... I, I mean, I know that you're a writer. You've done written so many different things, which I mean, probably some of my listeners who are familiar with your comic book work might not realize in terms of the all the different television things you've you've written for. Everything from one of Hulu's first uh, series, The Morning After, mm-hmm. to um, a couple episodes of the more recent He Man Masters mm-hmm. of the Universe for Netflix. Um, but I, I was wondering, did you start acting first and then get into writing, or how did your your path kind of start creatively? Uh, professionally, it was acting first and then writing, but I, I've i always done both. And even when I was in college, I was a, a drama major and a screenwriting minor. So I was always, I was always the like actor slash writer. And, uh, and I moved to Los Angeles and I did some indie films and a lot of theater and some television episodes. And then I... Um, eventually I decided to take a a writer's assistant job on a show and that, uh, and then from there got promoted to writer and started writing. And the more I started writing, the less I was acting, um, the hours don't necessarily mesh. Uh, but I found that I liked a lot of the, I liked a lot of the creative freedom that came with writing and, uh, the lack of having to like run all over town and go to auditions that came with (laughs) writing. (laughs) Um, and it just, it, it kind of suited who I am as a person a little bit better. I still, I still act from time to time, but now it's more like a, like a for fun thing. Um, but yeah, so it, I did start with acting, but I've been writing for as long as I've been, I don't know, alive, I guess, or able to, able to write work. 
Well, you know, in terms of like when you you're in you know high school or college and you're you're writing or doing some acting and you're thinking about what you're going to pursue professionally, did you think you know acting would would be a uh, like a clearer path for you, like because you enjoyed doing it, or did was writing always a possibility in terms of pursuing professionally? I always loved both. Um, it, it's so funny because writing was always my outlet. I mean, even when I was a very little girl, I was always like writing stories for my sisters or my cousins or, you know, it was always very much a part of who it was. And I think it was so much a part of who I was that I almost didn't consider it as a career path because it was just like who I was and what I did. And then I was thinking about like, oh, I'll, then I'll act. And then I, I wasn't really thinking about the writing, but then I was still like, oh, I want to minor in this because I want to write screenplays. This sounds so awesome. And, and, you know, and I always loved reading. And so it's just always been so much of like my DNA uh, as a writer that, but yeah, I did. I think in my early twenties specifically, I thought that uh, the acting would be more the career, but mm -hmm. I, I think I'm very happy with the way it turned out. <laughs> and so like when you're, you know, as an assistant, like in a writer's room, when you first mm -hmm. start doing that, like, um, I mean, I've had a few friends over the years that have, you know, pursued creative fields, whether or not it was acting or writing or, or, uh, or, or directing, but, you know, that always seemed so daunting to me because sometimes there isn't, you know, it's not like a a clear path all the time. Mm -hmm. But even with, you know, comic books, there's not always like a clear path unless you're just going to dive right in and start to to do it yourself, mm -hmm. like, and self-publish. But um, what was that that transition like to get being an assistant in a writer's room to like start either pitching your own scripts or like taking things on, you know, your own? I mean, luckily for me, I was on a new show and um, they were understaffed. So I pretty quickly <laughs> was able to like take on things and start writing. You know, it only took me a couple months to to do that. And like basically I would just start kind of when it when it felt appropriate and the you you have to you have to feel it out. If you come in and like you pitch too strong, too hard, especially in the beginning as an assistant, like that's very off-putting to people and kind of like you need to know your role and where you are. But I, I did very early on, you know, have ideas that were helpful or write things that were helpful and that were good. And then immediately they realized like, oh, she can write stuff on the show. And so then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was able to transition very quickly, but I'd also been, you know, writing on my own and honing those skills for a while on my own time as well. So like, you know, it's that whole opportunity meets preparedness thing. Mm -hmm. And the same, the same with comics. I, I was a television writer first and then I started doing, um, a web comic called hot mess with, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Kat Staggs, who's an illustrator. And, uh, so I would basically tell these embarrassing stories from my life and like little <laughs> comic strips right. and then she would illustrate them. And, um, you know, we did that for what, like two years, but what, but one every week. So, you know, you're doing four panel stories, but every week for two years, so you end up with quite a lot of them. And then right. I ended up doing, um, like pitching and then doing a story in an anthology. And so like, I was doing little things here and there to learn how to, how to write comics. And then, um, as is, you know, you're talking about no traditional path, the very traditional path of making a funny YouTube video to writing Wonder Woman, which was my path. 
which was that I, <laughs> I made, so I've been doing the web comics and I feel like this is important because it's not like it just came out of the blue. Like I had been doing, you know, web comics for a couple of years. I had done oh, an sure. anthology, but I, I made a YouTube video. I was doing like uh, videos at the time for a comedy website. And I made a YouTube video that was kind of making fun of myself for Father's Day. I'm an orphan. And so it was, it was a, a video that was a joke about being sad around Father's Day and like realizing you had dead parents. But as slowly throughout the video, I'm slowly morphing into Batman. And like by the end of it, I'm Batman. And it's kind <laughs> of like, it kind of turns into like this Batman orphan joke. And I guess it got passed around and like ended up in the DC offices. And then an editor at DC was like, hey, I've been reading your comic strips and I saw this thing in an anthology. And then I saw your video and I really liked it. And would you like to write a Wonder Woman story? Said, oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and I said, sure, uh, of course. And then I panicked because I was like, oh, it's just the most iconic female superhero of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, what could go wrong? Like, sure, I'll write that. And fans are so loving and lovely. And it'll be yeah. a perfectly just- easy way to go yeah. But it actually was. It, w- it was a perfectly lovely experience. Um, and obviously they enjoyed what I did because then I've been I've been working with DC ever since. Um, and it did get a nice response, luckily. But that's uh, that's my strange roundabout road into comics. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah, but in, in terms of DC, but you're right. You, you were working on the web comic. You had right. done that, um, which yeah, I try to do as much, you know, prep as I can for these. So I, uh, and I was going through some of that and it's, it, if it, if anyone wants to check it out, I don't know if it's still available anywhere, but there are some of it that is so hilarious. The, the, the one, the the one scene, uh, I think the character is what, like hanging over a cliff, uh, with their Mm -hmm. pants around their ankles. And I think the, I think the lettering is, should I, uh, yell for help or just die. Yeah. And that was a, that was a true story from my life of a time as a teenager that I went hiking with a group of friends and fell off a cliff while I was using the bathroom. And then instead of yelling for help, I did climb back up a cliff with my pants down um, because that seemed like the better right. option at the time because I was, I don't know, probably 15, 16. And that did seem like the better option was to maybe die. So. <laughs> well. Um, uh, I'm sorry that that actually happened to you, but it was, but also thank you for, for sharing. I was laughing great hysterically. Here's the thing, if you live, if you live through story. things, they become great stories. If you survive them, it's fodder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use it. You yeah. might as well. You might as well. Um, so in terms of like, the, like the pace and having to like work on a web comic and put out however many issues you're doing, doing weekly issues. And like, um, you know, I, you had worked on, I saw that you had worked on the, like uh, a, a very early Hulu series, the morning mm-hmm. after, which was like a, like a, a pop culture type of like mm-hmm. show, um, mm-hmm. which I imagine had a, a, a fairly um, packed writer's room, but may, maybe it didn't. Um, it, it, to crank out as much content as they did. I mean, I think in three years they did like 300 some episodes. Um, yes, we did. <laughs> so what, like, what is the pace of that? Like compared to like working on like, a, like a monthly series now, did that really like kind of like help you 
meet deadlines and knock things out and absolutely so i started with that show and then a few other like late night things for deep cable whatever and the nice thing about the grueling pace of when you're doing something that's a daily show like any kind of thing is like you're writing that morning and then by that afternoon or that evening you're taping so you have to have something ready to go on air um it, it helped cure me of the concept of writer's block because there's not the luxury of it in that kind of environment. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if you don't feel very inspired. There still has to be a monologue for the host to deliver and there had better be some jokes in it. And, you know, it's got to be ready for air. And that muscle for those years of just like having to do content and then we tape it and then the next day you just start over and like whatever happened yesterday, like, yes, you learn from hopefully you're getting better. There are some pieces that you're going to like better than others because of course, you know, when you're doing over 300 episodes, you're not, all of them are not going to be gems. Like, let's just, they're not all your best work. Some of them are, some of them you're really proud of. Um, But it was a really good way for me to build that muscle as a writer, which I think still serves me now, even when I have longer time uh, to work on a deadline and to really like sit and craft a story and think about what the characters are going to do and like have that luxury to, to rewrite something and scrap what I've, been working on and go, no, it'll work better this way. But I still, you know, it helps me not miss deadlines. It helps me write every single day and, and give myself page counts and go, you know, like, okay, I've got to do this. And that also gives me the ability to simultaneously work on more projects which, as a freelancer is very helpful because, um, you know, with comic books and even with television writing and, and, and traditional publishing, you know, a lot of times you're you're pitching and you're waiting for approvals or you're sending in a draft of a script and then waiting for your notes. And during that time, there's not always, I mean, it depends on the structure of things, but like some of that time you're waiting and you're not getting paid necessarily until the project's completed and you still have to live and feed your kid and pay rent. So like right. having having multiple projects going at the same time means that when something gets stuck somewhere in a funnel or it has to wait for somebody's approval or we thought this project was going to go and now it's not that there's always something else that I can throw myself into and work on which is just sort of uh survival <laughs> you know yeah. it's, it's creative and it's fulfilling but it's also it's also a job and um so I think yes I think those early years kind of helped me develop the muscles to be able to to constantly write constantly create constantly you know write scripts mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. As a freelancer, when you, like you said that y- you have to have a project or the next project because it's about survival. I mean, because of that instinct and I, I've heard other freelancers like talk about this, like, do you like struggle with like downtime? Do you ever feel like, Oh, I need to be working on something. Or are you able to kind of like, Oh, I can, I can take a break. I can. <laughs> <laughs> er, well, earlier in my career, I, I really, every downtime felt like a panic, you know, because you're just like, oh, I'm so lucky to have a job and you're waiting for the next one. And so like every time that I had a break, it didn't feel like a break because it just felt like if I don't have a new job soon, then there will never be a job again and I'll never work and everything, you Mm -hmm. know, what am I going to do? And, you know, I'll suddenly end up sleeping in my car. And now um, that I have a little more experience under my belt, one, it's a little bit easier, you know, as time goes on 
and you know more people and they know your work, it gets a little bit easier to find the jobs. But also I've been around long enough to know like there are ebbs and flows and like the world is not going to end if I take a week and spend time with my family or actually like enjoy a holiday. Um, right. that I don't, that I don't have to write my way through the Thanksgiving dinner, you know, that I can like chill <laughs> and, and spend time with people. So I have learned to some extent to relax, but I am still a person who doesn't do a lot of downtime. Um, and even when I am on vacation, mm-hmm. often I'm jotting down notes. I'm realizing like, oh, I could do this. I'm answering work-related emails or scheduling the next thing or, you know, or because I'm a freelancer, I have a script due anyway. And it doesn't matter because yes, everybody else in the offices are on vacation, but somehow my script is still going to be due when they walk back <laughs> in the door. So <laughs> that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> um, and so, you know, with uh, I, I was curious, though, in terms of you know, getting into comics and starting with the webcomic. I mean, had you had been and I I mean, I ask this of everybody in, in term that I that I interview, like, were you a fan of comics or did you come into comics like some other way? I mean, I read comics as like a kid. My dad would take my brother and I to the comic book shop and we'd get. My dad always bought a ton of number one issues. So we just have a bunch of random number ones. It was like it was his investment plan. Um, but then for years, I didn't read comics because I was in school and I didn't get back into comics until years later. Um, but I, I was just curious, were you a fan of comics as a kid? Did you did you come to it later? I was. I was, I was a voracious reader across the board as a kid. Like I was the kid who always had my nose in a book at all mm-hmm. times. Even if I needed to go outside and play, I would just like go climb a tree and read a book. Um, but some of that was comics. And I would specifically, my gateway was the Archie Digest and Betty and Veronica comics because they would sell them at the grocery store, like the Archie Digest. And every time I would go to the grocery right. store with my mom, she would always let me get one. You know, like I could beg for a comic and she would let me get one. And so like, you know, every week or two, I would go and get some more of those. So those were my entry into the world of comics. And then when I was in high school, it started being like, you know, like X-Men and things like that, you know, branching out. But as a little girl, I was just kind of all about Betty and Veronica, honestly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, when you, when you started writing, like when when you, you wrote Wonder Woman and Mm -hmm. I mean, now you've written, you've written, superhero girls i mean you've written some iconic characters i mm-hmm. um i think for the love is love anthology if i'm not mistaken you and 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 cat uh illustrated was that batwoman yes. for that one page um yes i mean so do you either in dc or somewhere else do you still have like characters like a one day i want to get my hands on on this property and write this um well well that one was one and that's the only time that I've written that character. Um, and I still would love to at some point, um, write that character. There's a couple, I just got to, it's finally been announced so I can actually talk about it now. Um, Mm -hmm. right now I'm doing some, uh, Batman and Scooby-Doo and I had never done Scooby-Doo before. And that was, you know, just as a kid, as is true for probably all of us of many generations at this Uh point, like grew up loving Scooby-Doo and how my daughter loves Scooby-Doo. So it was really excited uh, to to delve into that, but there's still, yeah, there's still 
um, a handful of characters that I would love to get my hands on. And there's some, and there's some new stuff that I've just gotten to start writing that I can't talk about yet, but that I'm, that I'm excited in new, um, for say like a company that is big in comics that I haven't written for before, but am oh. currently, but can't say what it is, but you probably <laughs> can figure it out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I have so, some guesses. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's not DC, <laughs> but it's a big two. <laughs> Um, it's really well, I can't, I can't wait to hear that announcement. Um, when that comes out. Yeah. I, I just read the, um, the star Wars, um, the hyperspace stories, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, dark horse is coming out. And so I know you wrote, you wrote issue one and yes. then are you going to get to come back to it? Cause I saw that I think Cecil Castellucci is doing issue two. Yes. So there okay. I, I will write four issues. Oh, um, awesome. There it's, it's 12 issues and there's three of us and we each are writing for, um, the next one, two, two of them have been announced. So I can talk. So I did issue number one and then, um, the next issue that's mine is number five, which is a Ray and Chewbacca, um, life day adventure. Oh, wonderful. Which, <laughs> I mean, just, I'm so thrilled about it on every, I that's... was like, Please let me write the legacy. <laughs> so excited. So yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really thrilled about that one. Well, that's awesome. Um, and then there's a couple others, but I can't say um, okay. what the team ups are for those. So when you know when you have something like that, that's like you know an, an established property like Star Wars, and um, is that something where you you know get a you get to like pitch an idea for like hyperspace stories, or they tell you we want you know issue one was and uh, 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 Padma and Anakin and like Obi Wan story, and they tell you like here's the framework, and they like how does that work different from then when you you know like a creator owned or or something else? So for hyperspace stories in particular, um, they. Approached us with that they wanted to do hyperspace stories, and what 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 Lucasfilm and Dark Horse gave us were particular pairings. So for the first one, it the only thing that I was like needed to have in there specifically mm-hmm. was uh, Obi Wan and Anakin. So that's the thing, and then um, they gave us these this arc of pairings. And then we, as the writers, met together almost TV writer's room style. And this is pretty unusual for comics. I've never done this before in comics. But we had some Zoom meetings together and figured out what the connective tissue, because because this is in all the different timelines in the universe, you know, it's not like it's a chronological story. It goes from Anakin and Obi-Wan to Luke and Leia. And then I think the next one is Finn and Poe. And so it's, it's not... And then, you know, we're going to go back and forth. There's going to be times that are again in Clone Wars. There's going to be times that go to High Republic. I mean, it's it's very expansive mm-hmm. of the whole universe, but not chronologically expansive. And so we had to come up with the thread that was going to weave those stories together and make it make sense. And then also, uh, and, and how that was going to show up in each of our stories. And then each individually also pitching what our individual issues and those self-contained stories would be. So it was actually kind of interesting. So we got 
you know, what the ma- basically what our two main characters are going to be from them. And then the rest of it was up to us to come up with. And then we, you know, we pitched it to them, received notes from Dark Horse and Lucasfilm, adjusted per the notes. And then, right. you know, same with our individual issues. So it's, it's kind of, there's a lot of freedom, actually. Um, but then you have to go through the approval processes. Right. Was there like a lot of, um, for something like that, like, like to, to dive in and do some like research in terms of, oh, I can have this character, I can have a, a Wookiee, I can have uh, this, you know, race of creature, I can, you know, have this type of person in, like, um, did you have to do a lot of that beforehand? Yes. And actually, that's why, that's why Wookiees are so central to this is because uh, Wookiees live for a very long time, hundreds of years. Uh-huh. And so it, uh, that makes it easier to branch all these, uh, these different timelines. If you've got like, if you're following Wookiees, they're, they're living a little longer than, right. uh, than maybe some of the others. And that's, that's very helpful. So yes, it's a lot of that. And then, um, it's also, you know, we know all these characters, but the stories, they take place in specific moments. So you, you are spending a lot of time as a writer, like me going like, oh, wait, has this happened yet? No, this person doesn't know this because, you know, we, of course, as fans who have, you know, read the comics, seen the movies, watched Clone Wars, all this, right. we have all this information. And it's like, does this person know this thing yet? Have these two met? Like, oh, can I incorporate that? No, they haven't. And so you are doing a lot of, uh, a lot of like deep dives into like specific, yes, specific races and like of aliens and how they work and like planets <laughs> and what's going on in the outer rim during this timeline and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It seems fun. My, it always, it, to me, always seems like a bit daunting when I hear like somebody online on Twitter saying like, Oh, they always wanted to write this character. They always wanted to write that. And I was just like the, uh, you know, I, for someone that wrote like a, a four page story and felt like I did way too much research to get like one aspect right. I was just like, yeah, I don't know that I have uh, the the ability to jump in and write something with like a huge continuity. It seems like just so much work before you even start putting, you know, pen to paper or you start typing. It is. I think you have to be kind of like a research project style nerd who like mm-hmm. you know enjoyed writing papers <laughs> in school, which I was. Um, and, you know, and luckily you do have the backup support of your editors. And then also, you know, there's whole teams of people at Lucasfilm who are reading the scripts for the continuity and to like mm-hmm. catch things in case we do, um, you know, oh, this is not the kind of ship that this particular person would ever fly. And you're like, oh, I would have never known that. Thank you so much. You know, like, because there are <laughs> right. things like as much as you try, I just, I do not have, you know, the knowledge of all of Wikipedia in my brain. Like I, you know, right. of course I'm watching things. Of course I'm reading novels. Of course I'm doing all that I can, but it's, it's a big, big universe with a lot of history. Oh, yeah. I felt that way when I, the first time I wrote Wonder Woman, I was also like, oh gosh, how am I even going to come up with a, a story that hasn't been done before? You know, like when you're first mm-hmm. thinking about like, oh, I'm going to pitch a story. Like everything's been done. This character has been used for so long to tell so many amazing stories and what can I possibly bring to the table that is true and authentic for her and also hasn't been done so many times that it doesn't feel interesting for me as a reader. So it's, it is, it takes a lot of nerdery. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not somebody that holds, um, 
like too fast to to continuity. Like I I think mm-hmm. I think continuity is like very important where characters have come from, where they're going, like that type of arc. But I also like some of the stuff DC is kind of doing with their black label books now, mm-hmm. where it's like a little bit outside of continuity, and they're just mm-hmm. trying to tell these different types of stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there has to be a maybe a happy medium between holding to continuity and just like, well, this is the Wonder Woman story that we want to tell right now because it's right. important right now or because we want to show this sign of Wonder Woman right now or whatever it might be. So, I mean, that's a fun thing when you're doing like one-off or single issue stories is a mm-hmm. lot of times, as long as you're not doing something that's so, um, you know, anti the character that it just doesn't make any sense but like you do get a lot of freedom with those and i i really enjoy doing those kinds of stories for that reason like that you you're not beholden to 15 things because when i'm doing something like um the dc superhero girls comics for instance you know the the television show is running simultaneously so there can even be things where i'm like oh i want to have this villain in or like this character and they're like oh you can't do that because in the series they've actually you know like sent that character off for an episode so like they're out of town so like you can't they can't be here because they've done this and and so then even though um my graphic novel is not necessarily taking place within a specific episode of the show it does Mm -hmm. have to like match that continuity so there's even that stuff where like a writer's room that i'm not in on a show that i'm not on so i'd have no way to know what they're doing and then it's like oh yep it can't be that villain so you know throw that whole pitch away and do something else you're like okay I guess it's Cheetah now, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 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 DC superhero girls books, I mean, uh I absolutely love them and my 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 two daughters almost are almost 10 and um the youngest one is 5 and um we have several of them and they they love them. I love reading them to them, you know, and uh I love the voice of all the different characters. Oh, I just I really you. I just really think um I'm not sure who my favorite is, but uh, the way Harley is done in the books is is wonderful, and uh, and Jessica Cruz as well, which is one of my favorite DC characters. I, I just mm-hmm. think they're all very well done. But yeah, the ones that you've written, Ghosted and um, and Weird Science, I think are are just fantastic. Um, Thank you. My my daughter is right in between. My my daughter is seven, so she's okay. right in between your girls, and it's it's fun to have things like that, that she can read and that I can share with her. Cause you know, not everything I do a lot of kids content, which is really fun while having mm-hmm. a kid. But then, you know, we also have things like John Carpenter's tales for Halloween night, which she can't even see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it's nice to have things I can share. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, yeah. I, I enjoy things that like trying to get my kids into stuff that like I like, um, mm-hmm. you know, just introduce them to things. And I never wanted to be one of those. I never wanted to be the the dad who was like, like the nerd dad equivalent of like the sports dad who was like mm-hmm. way too overzealous about certain things. So I tried to introduce them to stuff. Um, some took, some they were into, some they weren't, um, you know, but they found that my 10 year old, I, I, she sent, she's almost 10 she, in like three weeks. But, um, yeah, she was really into, I got to say the series right. The Wings of Fire books. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I mistakenly will often say Wings of Desire. I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, it makes, <laughs> makes everyone uncomfortable when I say my 10-year-old loves reading Wings of Desire. And then they just stare at me until I realize my mistake. Uh, <laughs> and, and now it's all warrior cats. Um, 
So now we're real into warrior cats in my house. But uh, but yeah, so they find their own things. And my 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 daughter, the oldest, is just like me. She has hyper focused on her things, and that's what she wants to talk about. And I was the same way about the stuff I liked uh, when I was a kid. It's just very funny to see. <laughs> that's cute. That's so cute. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I also want to talk to you in terms of you know, I, uh, being on social media, being on Twitter, and um you know, the content that you kind of put out and to your followers. And it, it seems like some of that has now kind of turned into a book that you have coming out. You already have the answers um, with a gratitude journal. So can you tell me kind of how that really came about, how that developed? And it, I think it's out in December. It, yeah, it is. It's, it's out December 6th. It's available for pre-order now at bookstores or online. Um, it, it started on a whim in twenty in twenty sixteen, actually. So it's been a really long time. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the last few years have been really hard for like everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't sure. Know if you've been aware that it's been a rough time. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, um, <laughs> and it, but in twenty sixteen, I was uh, I kind of was like. Um, it sort of was a social experiment where I was like, I wonder if I can trick people into talking about the things that um, that they've done right, the things that are going well for them, the things that they're grateful for, the things that are like good, like the 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 flip side of the toxicity that can sometimes happen on social media. And so, you know, I started with like asking just questions, you know, like very bluntly, what are you grateful for? But then starting to word things carefully in ways that made people kind of like dig deep, you know, like what's something that you're proud to have overcome or tell me a story about a time that like a stranger did something kind for you and it turned your day around. And, um, I just thought it was going to be like, you know, like a couple people would answer and no big deal. And instead a lot of those questions started going very viral. And I noticed that I wasn't getting trolls and I'm going to jinx myself right now, but this has been going on since 2016, (laughs) that I wasn't getting trolls because people were so earnestly and vulnerably sharing their stories. And then someone else would comment, Oh, you know, the same thing happened when I lost my father or, you know, Oh yeah, that also like, that's so amazing that you did this. This is what I did to cope with that. Or like, Oh, the same thing happened in my family. And, um, or I have a story that was similar to that when somebody helped me when I was stuck on the side of the road and it, it started like forming like these really like encouraging little communities and people also mm-hmm. just sharing their stories because we all have stories that we want to share that we don't necessarily get to, you know, in day-to-day life, people aren't right. going to ask you those kinds of questions very often. You're going to get the like, how are you? But not the real question that gets to the core of who you are and what you've been through and what you bring to the table. And like the wonderful thing you did for somebody last week and the amazing thing that somebody else did for you yesterday. And, um, and so it, it started, um, becoming more and more of a thing. And then even if I would stop, people were like, oh, I miss your questions. And so I've been doing them consistently for since 2016. So that's, is that six years now, almost seven, um, that I've been doing this. And then along the way, people started going like, oh, I wish all these answers were compiled into a book. Like, I wish that, you know, these are so motivational, inspirational, but I didn't feel right, uh, taking other people's stories because that's not they're not my stories to tell. And it's really mm-hmm. not about that. And so what I came up with instead was 
a, a gratitude journal that I've done. It's 12 months. They don't have to start at any time in the year, but it's 12 themes um, with one question every day for that month. And in the beginning of the theme, I share a little bit of some of my own answers because I don't do that a lot on social media because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the people that I'm asking. Um, so I rarely right. share my own. But so I share some of mine so that you get the idea of what happens on social media too, of like, oh yeah. And then that's how this was for me. So you get that feeling of community and also like a shared vulnerability. Like we're in this together. We're both like being vulnerable and sharing like these personal stories from our lives. And then there's, you know, one question every day that you answer. And there's only the little, you know, my answer is only like up at the top at the beginning of the month, there's a little essay on the theme and then the rest of it's all about you. And then there's 12 and it's basically the idea is that every day you're reminding yourself of the things that you're doing right, of the things that you have done right, of where you come from, of how the ways that you're similar to your family of origin that you're proud of and the ways that you're different from your family of origin that you're proud of. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and all those (laughs) things so that you, you know, that you come away with it, realizing that you are pretty amazing and that life is really hard but that you have the tools to cope with it because that's what you've been doing and like you're still here. So that's the mm-hmm. that's the gist of it, basically. But it, right. it came it came out of years and years <laughs> of like that happening online and it just felt so uh so real and authentic and organic. And then it was like, oh, this is a this is a book. This is a thing that people can do personally also on their own. Cause maybe some things you don't want to share on a public platform in this way. You sure have it privately. Right. Write them out and kind of think about it, see it written uh-huh. down. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it. I think for all the, I guess, ills sometimes of, of social media, the fact that anybody can say anything, can be mean, can be anonymous. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I, I found like, you know, blocking helps to carefully um, yes. cult- <laughs> cultivate uh, your timeline. But you know, I, I have found that you really, especially in the past two and a half years with the pandemic and being isolated and uh, that there really is, at least myself and I'm sure other people, like trying to find a sense of, you know, community online, mm-hmm. um, whether or not it's writing about comics or whether or not mm-hmm. it's just going on, you know, and and some of the the stories that people tell when you pose these questions are so raw and vulnerable mm-hmm. and sometimes people share things that I'm sure they think I'm the only one that has ever gone through this. And mm-hmm. inevitably there's always somebody else who has a, a similar type of story. And that type of shared connection is, you know, it, not, there's almost like a magic to it that I'm not alone. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been, I mean, I, I love reading them. I love going through them and, you know, shutting my office door. So my coworkers don't see me cry, um, but <laughs> but yeah, there it's it's you really have created a, a a community, I think, by doing that, and it's really great to see um, something to allow people to kind of have that and and do it on their own, even if someone were to just to use it not as like you know a, a internal meditative experience, but even as like a I mean, it's like a writing journal just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, suss out things on your own or, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I'm very excited to see that, uh, that's coming out. And, um, so, uh, I'm 
it's that's awesome. So congrats Thank on you. that. Thank you. I'm I'm excited about it too. And like you said, it is, I mean, that is the cool part about social media is the building of community. You know, that there's a there's a big community that's been built around that. And then you see it too in the in a similar way with fandom communities that come together online where you know, maybe nobody in your particular social circle or local community is into the same fandom that you're into, but then you can go online and you find people all over the world who love even the most obscure niche thing that you think like you're the only person (laughs) who's ever read this thing. And then you find that there's like hundreds of people and there, and it has a hashtag and like, you know, there's like a whole thing. And like, that's the I, social media can be really beautiful if you if you use it for community building, which is you know, and connection, which is what it's truly there for. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I I agree. I think it I think it can be. Um, yeah, that's that's really the only reason I'm I, I use it for in terms of you know comics and things along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, and it's it's been great to see indie creators and with crowdfunding sites, folks yes. making their own stuff and yes, yeah. It's been, um, that has been very enjoyable. It's been very cool. So, um, and so I, as, I mean, I know you, there's a couple of things you can't talk about, but is there anything else that you're working on that you, you know, that you are able to talk about any other things we should be uh, on the lookout for? Let me, let me think about what I'm allowed to talk. Okay. So there's going to be okay. some more hyperspace stories, which right. I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> about. So there's, there's a bunch more hyperspace stories. There's some Batman and Scooby-Doo coming up. Um, like we said, you already have the answers. is coming out in December. Um, I am writing on another animated show, but I can't. It hasn't been announced yet. Okay. Uh, so now we're, we're done with He-Man. That's, that is wrapped up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I have... Uh, my wife and I have a series coming out, a horror series coming out um, with uh, John Carpenter and Sandy King Carpenter's with Storm King Comics. Um, the book itself has not been announced, but I am allowed to say that it is coming. So it's a horror series. Um, that one's very adult, very opposite of the, the kids stuff that I do and right. opposite of the feel-good vibes of uh, You Already Have the Answers. It's very dark. Uh, murdery horror situation right. which is going to be which is going to be really fun yeah that sounds awesome um i i know i don't think i mentioned it but i know that um not not quite in the uh horror genre but um you had worked on hold on i i it just went right out of my head work for a million which was not really horror but kind of like a detective kind of crime noir-ish yes graphic no- novel Yes, noir, and that one was uh, that one was very indie. We crowdfunded that one. That was a Kickstarter. Um, it was adapted from a novel that was published in the eighties by mm-hmm. Eve Zaremba, and then um, we we kickstarted it, and then eventually Penguin did pick it up and publish it. So now it's out in bookstores and available. But it, it did start in a really DIY online people right. being supportive. Uh, way so it it went through the whole the whole evolution and that was really fun that's awesome um and so you know before i let you go just uh we are coming up or talking about horror and coming up on halloween to you and uh uh, cat stags have any you know halloween traditions 
Uh, one of our favorites is, so we always work on, um, every year we do a story for the John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night anthology. And then the weekend before Halloween, we all do assigning the creators of the book and John and Sandy do a signing at uh, Golden Apple. So we'll be doing that at the end of October. And then we take our daughter out trick-or-treating, obviously, with her friends. And we, we usually do a, uh, a family costume. This year, she wants to be Agnes from Despicable Me and have us as her minions. So I will be oh. a minion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> So I have my overalls and my yellow sweater and my little yellow beanie and my goggles and the whole thing. So I will be I will be on minion duty on Halloween. That's what my wife. And <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> it's fun times. Yeah, yeah. Fa- family costumes are uh, family costumes. Are, my brother does that. My brother has like four kids and him and his wife and their four children do family costumes every year. Uh, last year they did the Adams family and they absolutely they killed it. It was amazing. But um. My yeah, daughter did are fun. My daughter did the Adams family as her birthday theme for her seventh birthday. No. She, she wanted it. And so she dressed as Wednesday. And we did like we, you know, we brought out all the Halloween decorations and we gothed it out. So her seventh birthday party was Adam's family. Oh my God. That's the that's the best seventh birthday party theme I've I've ever heard. And then how I, Wednesday I so Adams. How uh, yeah, you should be. How Wednesday Adams to have the Adams family be your seventh day birthday theme, like a birthday I, theme. I ordered uh, one of those like over the hill cakes that looks like, you know, like a graveyard. And then I just got some Adams family cake toppers. But I thought it was the funniest thing when like I ordered uh, an over the hill cake. And then I'm like, if you could put like happy seventh birthday, and they're <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> like, just trust me. Just trust me. Yes, I want the tombstone. I want the whole thing. Uh. Like, what is wrong with this woman? But yeah, it was great. That's fantastic. I was a, I'm a big Adams family fan in, in every every iteration, uh, whether it's comic, the TV show, the cartoons, the movie, the musical. Um, yeah. Big Adams family fan. That's phenomenal. Um, yeah. Have your girls decided what they're going to be for Halloween this year? Uh, yeah. Charlotte, who's the oldest, is uh, going to be the cat, some type of cat. She wants to be a particular nice. warrior cat cat sure so sure. she's working that out and um uh penny wants to be wonder woman oh so yes yes so she's working right now on looking to get her uh her wonder woman costume so yeah um nice. so that's uh that's what they're gonna be so they're uh looking forward to that and getting their costumes together but uh, <laughs> yeah i i love i love halloween my uh my, my wife's not a not a big fan but um I love it and uh, love taking the kids around. And our neighborhood is, since we moved in 10 years ago, um, there's been like a ton of turnover and a ton of families. Like our first year, there was maybe one trick-or-treater. And now the whole neighborhood is like kids. So it's been incredible oh, to kind of see that. Yeah, so that. we're looking forward to it. But um, but yeah. Um, well, Amanda, I uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to talk about writing and talking about your career and um the comics and books you have coming out uh this has just been a real treat i was very excited to to talk to you and i hope everyone goes out if you're a star wars fan get the hyperspace stories the first issue i really enjoyed and um especially in december the gratitude journal when that comes out and if you haven't read work for a million i think that's definitely still available as well as the dc hero girl stuff um yeah i i 
it's it's all wonderful. And thank you very much, Amanda, for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. Um, uh, yeah. And so uh, if you like these interviews and you like uh, hearing me babble through after uh, after work uh, and trying to interview people, please uh, like and subscribe and all those things they tell you to do with the podcast. And um, for Comic Book Yeti, this has been uh, Jimmy Gasparro with Amanda Divert. And um, uh, thank you very much for listening. And I will see you next time. Bye, everybody. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.